Well, we are starting a, a new series today called Better Than that's in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Hebrews chapter one. I know the exact moment in time when I got sick this past week. I was looking at my adorable little six-year-old. He was, he had boogies, he was coughing, but he was crying and he looked so sad and I said, no. Some others, he has, surely he has another parent that can love him. But then I, the Lord convicted me. I went and hugged him. I pulled him in close to get his head away from me. And then I said, son, are you doing okay? And instead of saying yes, like a normal child, he coughed in my face like a rotten, evil little creature. And two days later, I sounded like this, but that's okay. So don't shake my hand afterwards. You've been warned. If I give you a fist pump, it's because I love you. All right. Our staff did something uh, fun this week. You've heard of speed dating. We didn't do that. <laughs> we did speed relating, all right? So we sat in a long you know, table, and we, we had one minute to answer these questions before we changed our seats. It was a lot of fun, but you've got to settle something for us. One of the questions is, and you've got to turn to the person next to you and tell them they answer this without even thinking, just from the gut, you should know this. Which is the best ice cream flavor, chocolate or mint chocolate chip? Go. Now, some of you are just frustrated with me because of how I asked the question. You're like, you can't say which is the best. You can say which is better, but it's a, it's a false dichotomy to limit the choices and say which is the best. And I agree with you because the best option isn't chocolate or mint chocolate chip. As you know, we can say it all together. The best option is mint, pure mint with none of those chocolate chips getting in the way. You got to go to Cold Stone and say, I don't want anything mixed in with this. Just give me the mint but there are better options, people, based on their preferences. Listen, the word better is used 11 times in the book of Hebrews. The author is speaking to a Jewish audience, and he is trying to convince them that Jesus is better than anything that they have experienced, that Jesus is better than the angels, the prophets, Moses, the priesthood, that he's better than the sacrificial system, the old covenant entirely. Jesus is better in every way. But this letter benefits us today because we often are caught, you know, sometimes just by accident or just by drifting, we're caught prioritizing the lesser and missing out on the greatest, on Jesus himself. And so this is a book for those questioning if Jesus is better than the relationships that we long for, than the material possessions that we desire. Is he better than sexual freedom, than comfort and convenience, than any worldly pleasure? The author would tell us today that Jesus is better than all of those things. And so we should follow him if we're looking for satisfaction in life. And so real practically, as we look at portions from Hebrews chapters 1 and 2, we're going to see by application that Jesus is better than your idols. He's, he's better than that. And we'll define what that means because None of us are bowing down to Dagon or Molech or these idols, these false gods that we see in the scriptures, and yet there are things that take hold of our hearts. But Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe... The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What a description of Jesus. The author right from the beginning is, is trying to communicate to us, 
Jesus is the best. There is no comparison. Don't put anything else on the other side of the scale. Jesus is amazing. He's the heir of all things, the creator of all things, the exact representation of the Father. He is everything that we need in life. Now, we know that in our best moments. When we're worshiping, even today we said we won't bow to idols. In our best moments, we know that. But the truth is, is that sometimes he loses that place of being number one in our hearts and something else slips in and we can worship something else and create a rival God, a modern day idol. We're not going to label it an idol and we're not going to label it a lowercase g God. And yet other things grab a hold of our heart and we won't say we're worshiping it, but, but we give it our time, our, our thoughts, our resources even at the expense of our relationship with the Lord and everyone else around us. And the scary thing is that even healthy pursuits can sometimes become rival gods. Even when the Lord is the one inspiring us to love our family, love our friends, and to work faithfully, those very things can become rivals to God himself if we're not careful of preventing our our goals in becoming gods. And so how do we discover if we have created rival gods in our hearts? Well, the question we kind of have to analyze ourselves here, the question we have to ask ourselves and be honest is, where do we spend our thoughts, our emotions, and our resources? Right, when we're by ourselves, where does our mind go? What is our greatest desire that we're thinking about? What are we obsessing over? What are we working towards in our lives? It's been said, your religion is what you do with your solitude, What do you do when you've got carved out time, power outage, the internet's not working, and you forgot to charge your phone? Somehow it's an impossible scenario, I know, but you're alone with yourself, and what are you going to think about? Or your emotions, what makes you furious or what makes you happiest in life? If you can't have joy without a thing or even someone that isn't God, then that's that's a hint of where a rival God could be. And so why do we even go about creating idols? Why do we seek after idols even if we don't label them that? I want to give us three reasons to work through as we continue through Hebrews about why we do this. The first is we want that brand. We want that that name, that identity. We idolize something based on its brand or the reputation it will give us if we associate with that brand, what people will think about us in those situations. And so we will worship a company, a school, a celebrity, an athlete, and maybe even more commonly, a job title that we are after. And we we give a higher value to these things, sometimes than even God. You may have noticed one of my idols. I started a foreign car exotic collection. I have a fiesta and a caravan. It's very, very, uh, they're foreign. They sound foreign to me. I don't know. We we, we want want these brand names that when Shannon uh, and I were early in our marriage and we were living in New Jersey, we would go to New York City every two weeks for the first five years we were married uh, in Jersey. We loved it. And so we'd go to the city and, you know, enjoy Little Italy. We'd go to Chinatown. They've got some great food. But if you're in Chinatown, it's just a, it's a treasure to do this. It's just what you have to do. They force you to do it. But you have to buy a fake purse or a fake watch. It just seems the whole industry seems to be around those two things. And so you find yourself in a store. And I remember Shannon's looking around and say, oh. And there's a keyword you got to say. you got to say, oh, is is this all the inventory you have? And then they look around. Sometimes they shut the blinds or the shades in the store, and all of a sudden they push on the wall and a fake door opens. 
Like a door that wasn't there. You, you go in and you go upstairs into like the attic. Every horror movie starts this way, but you're drawn towards it because you just think you're cool as you're, as you're going about. And then you're in this separate room with a whole different vendor back there that maybe you may not will kidnap you. I don't know. And, and you, then you start to negotiate, and now it's uh, Gucci, but spelled differently. Faye Fendi, but spelled with an A. And all these different, uh, you know, almost brands. And you're there looking at it. I remember one time we were on the street, and she goes, oh, do you have any of, of this brand? And the guy gets on the phone. We don't know what he's saying. A white van pulled up. They opened the door, and he points in to get in. And I paused for a moment, and I thought, well, I like a good deal. Like, I really, I'll take a risk to get a good deal. Going into the attic, that's one thing, but I don't know if I should send my wife into a white van just to get a few dollars off. And so I said, no, no, thank you. And we ran, and I saved my wife that day from her idol. No, from a purse, uh, from a purse, a bad purchase. Gideon, I showed Gideon recently for some reason. Uh, when they were, kids were younger, I was putting just 25 bucks a week into a boring stock for them in this like mutual account that we had. And so they have some money in Kellogg's cereal. And I showed Gideon, I'm like, oh, look, you, you guys own this at Kellogg's cereal. When you're 18, I'll, I'll give this to you. And he goes, Kellogg's? That's not even my favorite cereal brand. He starts fighting me on it because it wasn't a cool brand and we're, we're battling over brands. He goes, well, can't I just like sell it and buy something else? I'm like, well, yeah, technically, yes. But I said, well, what would you want to buy? And he goes, uh, Apple. I want to invest in Apple. I'm like, you, how does Apple have a hold of your heart at nine years old already? Listen, these brands are nothing compared to Jesus. Look at verses four through five. It says, so Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of his angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? There would be a tendency to worship angels, and you wouldn't even blame someone. They come in shining light. Everyone would start bowing down, even in the Bible, and worshiping them. And the angels were smart enough to say, get up, get up. I'm going to get in trouble. You can't worship me. Only worship God. And so they'd be worshiping. And the author here is comparing Jesus as far above the angels because his brand is better. His name is spotless and unique. It says the name he inherited is superior Jesus means God is salvation. And his title, you are my son, meaning that he is the son of David, the expected and prophesied Messiah. Nobody else can claim that except for him. He is, he is unique in that. And also the son of God. And Jesus' name, his reputation is spotless. People will have a problem with Christianity, Christians, and churches. But Jesus is only good towards people. His reputation is is intact. I remember a few months ago, it was really a sad situation, but when Adidas dropped Kanye West because he started saying some really scary anti-Semitic, you know, comments, and so they dropped this massive shoe deal with him, and then all of a sudden he shows up uninvited at Skechers headquarters, and Skechers freaked out. They're like, this is bad PR for our brand name, for our reputation. So they actually had to escort him out, post on social media saying, we did not invite him. He was not authorized to film. We have no relationship with him, and we disapprove of everything that he's saying. That can happen here in life as we, as we honor someone and think highly of someone, and then they ruin that reputation. Jesus will never do that. His name is greater. Sometimes we want that benefit, not just that brand. We idolize something based on what it does for us. And so maybe it's a substance that makes us feel good or a group that makes us feel included or a person that makes us feel valued. That's nothing compared to what Jesus offers us. 
As we continue to read in verse 6, look at who Jesus is. It says, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all of God's angel worship him. And about his son, he says, a scepter of justice will be a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above all your companions, anointing you with the oil of joy. We see Jesus and his benefits are, are better because he will lead us perfectly. He wants to be our God and our king. Even the angels have to worship Jesus, and he has a scepter of justice, meaning he is going to lead with the way his heart is. It says in verse 9 that he loves righteousness and hates wickedness. Well, that justice will be applied to our lives, and he will lead us rightly. We can't say that about the other things that we follow, about the people that we follow, that they're going to lead us rightly. We can't say that of the substance we consume that says, oh, you're going to get this great high, and I, I've got your best, best health interests in mind. This is going to be the best thing for your... No, we can't say that about other things, but Jesus will lead us righteously, and he hates, he hates wickedness, yes, in our hearts, but in the world, and he will protect us from that and give us victory over that. He's our God and our King. He will include us in his family and guide us in our lives, and we need that benefit. But also, sometimes we, we idolize something because we want that bigger purpose. We want our life to have meaning. But temporary pursuits are fleeting, fickle, and vain and are not going to satisfy that desire that we have that we are going to have our lives matter. There was an article I read just this week about a poor lady named Christina that was trying to take a flight from Miami to Lima. And so she got on the plane, and it took off from Miami, but it never made it to Peru. They had to detour and head to Panama City because there was a tragedy at the airport in Lima. They were doing some routine emergency drills, and a plane came in with the wrong timing and it hit a fire truck that was there just practicing. And it was horrible. They had to close the airport down for two days. But Christina ends up in Panama City, doesn't really know what's going on. And finally, after eight hours, they say, listen, we can get you back to Miami or you can stay here. And she's like, well, of course, get me back to Miami if there's no way to get to this airport. But then even though she never made it to her destination, they, were, they wouldn't give her a refund. They said, well, we don't know, you know, and they called it a trip in vain. It's actually a technical term there, a trip that is in vain. A trip in vain is when a flight does not accomplish its intended pur purpose. Sometimes the flight is so delayed that you miss the wedding, you miss the meeting, and those are refunded on a case-by-case -case basis. But other times, the flight never arrives at its intended destination, and usually automatically a refund is, is given, but this was a unique situation. Nobody knew what was going on, and for weeks, she was only getting half the money back, and then a $50 gift card. She finally got in contact with an advocacy group who was able to help her get a full refund. I bring it up because... What a, what a sad disaster to have a trip in vain, but what a worse situation if our life is in vain, if we never get to the intended purpose and destination that God has for us, not people that they have for us, not a, not a company that it has for us. God has an intended destination for our lives. And so we need to know that the, the bigger purpose of Jesus is better than what the world has to offer. His plan is eternal. Look at Hebrews 1, verse 10. It says, he also says in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. 
You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Jesus ruled before time even began, and he will rule forever. His purposes will stand. People will tell you what's the most important thing in life, and this trendy and fickle situation that, will, that will, people will get behind and then not be behind. Jesus has an eternal plan for our lives, not just to save us, but to help others find who he is. And there is great satisfaction in that eternal plan of Jesus. And we all want to matter for eternity. It's Ecclesiastes 3.11 that says that God has set eternity in the human heart, right? We, we know that there's something after all of this, and we want to be remembered. And for the believer, every act of kindness done for the Lord will be remembered. Every time we partner with the Lord in faith to be a part of his kingdom, that will be remembered. Our life will not be defined by vain pursuits if we are pursuing kingdom goals, and so what a way to live our lives. I want to share two tweets that I just saw this week from Tim Keller, an author of a great book I'm going to tell you about. And he said this about modern-day idols. Everyone has to live for something, and whatever that is becomes a Lord you must obey. But Jesus is the only Lord who, if you embrace him, will satisfy you fully, and if you fail him, can forgive you. Your career can't die for your sins. Don't elbow anyone sitting next to you. They're working hard. They're providing. But listen, it's important for us to know that. Uh, the career that we're pursuing and sometimes even idolizing, that job title, or the people that we're following, they're not the ones that died for our sins. And we want our lives to have meaning. We, ha we have to align our lives with the Lord. They also said, if you love anything in this world more than God, you're going to crush that object under the weight of your own expectations. It's not even fair for us to put other people in the place where only God can give us that satisfaction, that peace, that purpose in our lives. Those people will let us down. We may end up damaging that relationship as we try and pursue that from someone. And so we have to be careful. We think, oh, idols aren't a big deal. I don't call them idols. I don't call them rival gods. They're just, they're just passions. Maybe, maybe they are, but we need to be careful. And Hebrews warns us to be careful. Chapter 2 tells us this. It says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, the gospel, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? The warning here is that the love of idolatry, the love of something else besides Jesus, it's going to be subtle and it can cause us to drift. It doesn't say that we were dragged away from the Lord and our relationship with him, violently dragged away. It says we just drifted away. So by definition, it's going to be subtle. It's going to happen as a, as a small compromise, a tiny decision, but it's pointed in the wrong direction and it can be spiritually dangerous. To drift is much more dangerous than we give it credit for. Just a few days ago, a 47-year-old man was rescued after being uh, drifting around the, the ocean there by Columbia for 24 days. This poor guy was just trying to work on his boat all the way over by St. Martin, just working on his boat, and, and he, he could see the land behind him. He knew where he was, and then all of a sudden he realized, if I drift any further, I'm not going to be able to see where St. Martin is. And so he real quick starts getting the sail ready and, and it took him a while to get everything that he needed repaired done. And when he turned around, he couldn't see in any direction land. 
and he had no idea where to go. He tried sailing a little bit, and eventually he just drifted for 24 days. He also had the saddest survival story ever because all he had was a bottle of ketchup, garlic powder, and some seasoning that he mixed, mixed together, a couple noodles, I think. And, and thank God he had that. It kept him alive. He had some water. He had to write the word help on his boat because everyone was just waving as they went by him or flew by him in planes. And finally, the, the Colombian Navy are the ones who rescued him. Listen, I doubt at any moment when he was just initially drifting away from the island did he think, I can't get back to that island or this isn't a big deal. I've drifted before. I know how it's right there. I'll just turn around and sail towards the island. But his drifting was much more dangerous than he gave it credit for. And spiritual drifting and following idolatry and not even being willing to name it idolatry, naming it a rival God, but just kind of following in a direction that's distracting you away from the Lord. It's much more dangerous than we give it credit for. Because at the root of all sin is a heart that just prefers anything more than God that doesn't treasure God enough, it leads to sin. We're told in Romans 1.25 about people exchanging this. It says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And listen, they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So, so the creation that we were intended to enjoy and use, we end up worshiping that more than the giver of life more than the giver of good gifts himself. And when we do that, everything is backwards. And the result is going to leave us empty and devastated because those things can't fulfill us. And it's, it's counterfeit for them to even promise they can, but that's what sin does. It promises us not a passing pleasure, which it is. It promises us long-lasting pleasure, long-lasting satisfaction, but it's a counterfeit. It can't deliver. The father of lies is telling us that, not... Jesus. If this is something you want to go deeper, and I want to recommend a great book by Tim Keller. I showed you his tweets earlier. I believe those are quotes from this book called Counterfeit Gods. And he does a great job talking about, about money, power, and sex, and saying, hey, these things all promise to be the ultimate in your life, but they can't deliver on something that God has put in your heart. Right? I mean, our hearts must worship something. If our hearts are empty, if there's a void there, they will, it, our hearts will find something to worship. It's like a vacuum. It will bring something in and begin to worship, and we are only safe and blessed as we worship the Lord himself. And so we need to repent of obviously negative idols, but those healthy pursuits that became idols need to be brought back into a place of balance so the Lord can bless those things under his reign, not instead of his reign, and we do that by paying attention to the good news that he has taught us. So these final verses we're going to look at in verses 14 through 18 show us just how much Jesus loves us. This is what he will do to those he sees drifting away from the good news of salvation. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for their sins of the people." 
because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So not only is Jesus better because he keeps us secure in him, whereas idols want to pull us away, Jesus instead says, nobody can snatch you out of my hand. You're in my hand, you're in my Father's hand, you're safe in me. While idols are trying to pull you away, you're safe in me. But there can still be some disobedience you choose a life of sin after knowing the good news of Jesus. Not only are we safe in Jesus, but the help that Jesus gives is better because Jesus is going to meet our deepest needs, not the fake needs that advertisers are trying to convince us are our real needs. I mean, just this week, I was like sucked in hook, line, and sinker with an advertisement where I, I didn't need this thing at all, but it convinced me. I was looking, I was, all of a sudden a social media ad came up and it, and it was this thermos where the bottom part of it detaches and you plug into a, a USB-C cord, you know, and it charges it all up. And it can boil water like 4,000 times. And I'm thinking, that's amazing. Can you imagine when you're hiking or camping, being able to boil water just by pushing a button with no flame or fuel and you can have coffee and tea. And I just, I was like, this is amazing. And I was so close to buying it because originally it was $258, but it was only $124 today, just for me, I think, a special deal. So I'm like, well, I need this now, actually, or else this deal, I can't, I'm not gonna buy it when it's $258. Well, I shouldn't even buy it at $124. I only go camping once a year in Lake Skinner, 30 minutes from my house. I buy a coffee on the way there and I buy a coffee as soon as we leave the next morning. What, where am I gonna use this thing? But I, I'm telling you, I wanted it bad. So I began to try and convince all the other, like my friends and pastors, I'm like, you guys, you need, to, you need this. You need to buy this so I can borrow it. <laughs> Listen, I didn't need that at all, but I felt like I did. Jesus actually helps us with our deepest needs. That's why he's better. This paragraph we just read shows us that he shared in our humanity. He kept his deity. He was always and always will be God, but he added to it humanity so that he could understand so that we could understand that he knows the human experience. He shared in our death, it says that he, he broke the power of death. Right? He came and he, and he died for us so that we could live. He removed our fear of death. We were in slavery to being just fearful of what happens after I die. Will my sins be remembered? He removes all of that as he takes our sins from us. He is a merciful and faithful priest. We think we've crossed a line that we'll never be able to be right with God again. And sometimes people tell us, you'll never be right with, with me again. And so we think that's got to be true about God. But, but God is always ready to forgive us. At the men's breakfast last week, a friend of mine came in and, and told a story about how for after one thing after another, and starting in drugs as a 12-year-old, and eventually at the age of 21, he committed murder as he murdered a drug dealer and, and then spent 13 years in prison. It should have been a life sentence, but God was merciful to him. And the first four years in the prison, he was joining gang after gang, trying to stay alive. And then he saw somebody else change. This person just stopped doing drugs, started being kind. And he said, what, what's going on with you? And he goes, oh, I go to church now. And he says, well, maybe, maybe God can change me. And he started attending church. And one day, he just dropped to his knees and gave his life to the Lord, eventually became a deacon and an elder in the church in that prison. And when he got out, I met him because he came to Calvary Chapel Bible College uh, we wouldn't let him stay on campus, but we said, hey, you should have off-campus housing and study the Word of God with us. He ended up running the maintenance department. My wife and I have had him in our home. We've been in his home uh, to have a meal with his wife and him. 
He's one of the sweetest men. He describes himself as a square. He is. He looks like a nerdy guy that the, the Lord just grabbed a hold of his heart and made him a man of integrity. And yet there are some sitting here who say, well, yeah, that's good story, good reform. There's no way God will forgive a murderer. Well, I, I understand how difficult that is. The greater question we should be asking is, what in the world? Why do we think so highly of ourselves? Why do we think like, oh, yeah, well, I didn't commit murder, so I'm good. All of our sins, they are rotten towards the Lord. He is good and beautiful and pure, and we rebel against him, all of us. We should thank God for his mercy and grace towards my friend and towards us. He gives that to us. He atones for our sins, and he can be empathetic when we are tempted because he himself was tempted. So we can go to God and say, you, you know how this feels for me to be tempted in this category. And God can say, yes, I do know how it feels. Jesus didn't commit sin when he was tempted, but he knows how the temptation feels. So he can relate to us and empathize with us. We have a faithful and merciful high priest in Jesus. He is better than all these other distractions trying to grab a hold of our hearts. He is better than any sin that is, that is over-promising and under-delivering that we will eventually hate that sin. We get to choose Jesus today. We get to choose Jesus this week. But the question really is, if this is true just at the beginning of Hebrews, then what are we going to do this week to give Jesus his rightful place in our heart? That can look different for all of us, but we have to answer that question. Maybe it's saying, I'm terrible at prayer. I don't know how to, then come to the night of prayer. I'll be leading that time on, on Tuesday night. We're gonna be meeting upstairs and we're, it's a guided time of prayer. We're all going, you don't have to be a prayer expert to come to this thing. We're all going to just seek the Lord together in a time of saying, our flesh is never gonna wanna pray. Do you think anytime you're gonna sit there and say, now when should I schedule my hour of prayer? Your body never wants to do that, but Jesus is worthy of that. And so we're gonna, we're gonna do that this Tuesday. Maybe, and I think God made this easy for most of us in the room. Maybe it's you never come to church on Super Bowl Sunday. Well, guess what? All the local teams aren't in the game. And so we can celebrate the thing that's still there, the hot wings. The hot wings are still there, but they only take an hour and a half to put on the smoker and eight minutes in the air fryer. And so 9 a.m. should be a packed service next week. What is it? What is it that you are going to do to say, Jesus, I want you to reclaim my heart this week. Father, show us. Show us what it is. None of us are bold enough to say that we worship lowercase g gods and, and we don't label the decisions we're making as following idols. None of us are that dumb to do that. And yet our actions show that there's just a greater place in our heart for those things or those people than you. That's an upside down life, Lord. We were created to worship you, to have a relationship with you, to make you our king. And we will have the most joyful and fulfilling life as we join in that, as we get alongside you in these kingdom goals that you have, as, we, as our heart starts to break for the people around us that don't know you. And so we reach out to them because you would do that. We want to be a part of your kingdom. Lord, we thank you that you're faithful, like a good father, to discipline us when we go astray. You do that because you love us and you want us back on the right path where we will have the best life possible. And so today, remind us that Jesus is better than all things anything that could tempt us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you. Hope to see you next week. We've got a prayer team available right now in the front that would love to pray for you.